Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. I'll try to, I'll try to, that was good stuff. I, I, I'll, take, I'll take time out of my message any day for that, right? So, um, but let's grab our Bibles now, open to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And that's where we're going to start. I, I want to say this this morning that uh, I started uh, a series the first week of, uh, of the year. And I wasn't planning on it being a series. I just want to preach something on my heart on uh, survival mode and how you get into survival mode, what survival mode is, and how you get out of it. Because I think that so many of us uh, have made friends with survival mode. It's become our comfort. Uh, it's become how we manage and we don't really know the presence of God and hiding ourselves in him. We, we know how to crawl into an emotional uh, hole or uh, a physical hole in some uh, uh, ways and, and hide there. And God did not die on the cross for our sins for us to hide in anything other than him. Amen. And so survival mode, I started and I just shared this, this uh uh, sermon the first week, and then the last week I kind of did part two to it. I thought it was done, but as I was searching God's heart this week, I really felt like I need to do a part three to this, and that's why we're in uh, First Kings. Then we're, we've got a lot of great things that we're going to be speaking about the rest of the year. But I just uh, pray right now that you just open your heart, and and maybe the first two weeks, you uh, your perspective was, man, those people in survival mode, you know, God help them. But maybe this week, um, God had me do part three because it's actually you. Right, and so, so I, I, I just because, and I say that strongly because it was, it was, it's been me, and I know how it is to actually be a dreamer and then have your biggest dreams being, how can I just stay with my head above water in my life, and that is not a great place. I, I do want to say this though that um, last week some people came up because I used an il- illustration about wanting to stay in an emergency room, and some people came up uh, to me and they wanted more clarity on that. I do want to give some clarity to that, is that emergency rooms are great when you need them, right? And so some of us, spiritually speaking, we need time to heal. We need to go into an emergency room and we should not feel guilt about being in an emergency room. In fact, it may be some of you are here and you're visiting and um, the, you just cannot find it in you to serve. The, you, you barely made it here. And I just want to give you permission just to use this place as an emergency room when you gather and just sit in the back and take all the pressure off and just receive from God. And all, all I really wanted to communicate was that emergency rooms just aren't places to live forever in. And you heal in them and then you're sent back out. And so God is, these are days where God is calling us back out into actual real living because he is the way, the truth and the life. And he wants us to live and he wants us to live in such a way that will impact other people. So that's what, uh, that's what I was meaning by that. But you guys want to hear another story? All right, good. So I was, uh, and I'm going to be like downright honest with you today at the point of embarrassing myself. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, I, I know how this works. I know how trickly uh, the survival mode can, can sneak in. And that is the word, trickly, all right? Um, but I was, uh, I decided, I used to love exercising. I used to love working out. There was a time in my life where, where I even ran a little bit. I was training for a uh, 
um, a half marathon, but then I injured myself and I just took that as God saying, you know, you're not built as a runner. I said, okay, Jesus, I, you're built as a lifter. I, I used to love banging weights around and it really, if I went, uh, someone just laughed at that, like, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, but I used to, uh, if I even missed one day in the gym, I felt weird. And so anyway, I decided in December that I'm going to beat the rush back to the gym. And I'm going to decide right now in December, 2021, I'm going to get back in the gym. And so, um, I didn't have a lifting partner and I had been out of, you know, lifting shape for a while. So I decided to start on what's called the Stairmaster. Have you ever seen a Stairmaster? It's a big, huge, uh, piece of machinery and it just throws stairs at you. And if you don't keep walking, you fall, right? It's actually where I first met Jason Driver. It was awesome. Jason was actually, he had a weighted vest on, he was carrying all kinds of weights and he was screaming at me while we were on. It was just, and intimidated to me, intimidated me. Then he showed up at church, and I'm like, "Wow, this guy! I feel safer." Uh, but uh, so I'm, I, I decide to do. If you're gonna do cardio, do the hardest one in the gym, and then call it a day. Amen. Right? So I, I just I got on the stair stepper. I turned it up. I did like 10 or 15 minutes, sweating, get off. I started doing this for weeks, and um, I got to the place where I could do like 40 minutes on the stair stepper, not just like single step. And I'm talking about high speed double step. I was like the stair stepping, like I was just like, I was just a legend, I already a legend in a few weeks. And so I get off this one day after I set my own step record, okay? And, um, and I, as I'm leaving, I'm completely drenched in sweat at, at the place where the, the people in their 80s exercise on those machines where you just basically sit there and you just move your arms like this, you know? Have you ever seen those? All right, you have to be 80 to use those, all right? So just letting you know, if you're, if you're like 27 and you're on there, like, you know, there's, you, that's weird. But, uh, but so I, and there's this couple on these and as I'm walking by them, they say, excuse me. And I turned and I gave them my attention and the man spoke first. He said, we've been watching you this whole time and you are now my hero. I was like, wow, that is, that's the nicest thing I've heard in a long time. And then, the, then his wife, I'm just assuming they were a married couple. They look good together, all right? And then the wife said, she, she said, you're his hero. You're my hero. Then she pointed to the entire gym like this. She gestured. You're all of our heroes. It's like, what a, what a blessing. All I did was stair step for 40 minutes. Look like a drowned rat. Look like I'm half dead. And now all, all I, and I became all of our heroes. It's really that's really nice. And I just kind of like, I think I even grabbed my heart like this. I was like, you guys are awesome. Like, you just keep up the good work. Like, I'm just like, I'll keep being your hero and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be awesome. It's just thank you, thank you, thank you. And I walked away and I was very confused. I was like, this couple, they seemed as genuine as they could be. And they seemed as kind and sincere as they could be um, in the right minds. I was like, how in the world did I become their heroes? Just by the, I, I don't know them. They just watched me on the stair stepper. And then I started just looking out around the room to at all the people whose heroes I just became. <laughs> and what, what I saw, this was like in the afternoon, so it wasn't like the mad rush. It was the people that really, uh, really care about being there. I just, it's just like all, all hard bodies, all right? All people very, very in, in great shape. I started looking around and started saying like, these are all people in shape. I'm their hero. What, what, what in the world do they mean? And here is what popped into my head. <laughs> Here's what I decided in my head that they meant in my confusion. So I, d I decided to, to assign a motive to their statement. Instead of just being blessed, I shouldn't have thought about it. I should have just left happy, all right? But instead of, uh, instead of doing that, I started trying to figure this out. And here's what I decided is that I'm the only middle-aged chubby guy in this gym, all right? 
<laughs> and I just like did my best fighting a Stairmaster, all right? And I think I won. And so I think that I became their hero because I'm the only guy that doesn't look like I should be in the gym, but I'm in there fighting it out. All right? Yeah. That's it. Yes. But so, and I, I think that's probably, that's close to the truth, but I went from feeling encouraged to discouraged, all right? Because what happened is they basically, in the nicest way possible, they just said, stay in the gym, all right? Stay in the gym. This is where you belong. You need to stay here. Get that off of you, all right? Great encouragement. Nicest way. I don't, I don't know if that was true or not, but that's what I think uh, they said. Now, I want to be honest, guys. That I have, I have had people, that was the very nice ver- version. I've had people in my life that have spoken words over me that were not near as nice. Anybody? Yeah. I've had people that have spoken things into my heart, into my mind, into, into my world that actually, they weren't trying to be nice. They weren't trying to say a hard truth in a nice way. They just said words that were just meant to hurt, and it did. And I, I wanted to talk this morning just for, the, honestly, the next few minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip through this because it's really, um, it's, it's really going to be easy to get to what I'm doing. But I want to talk about um, what has the power to pull you into survival mode faster than anything else is words spoken into your life. All right. Now, First uh, Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 20, we see a man named Elijah, and now he's one of the greats in the kingdom. Okay. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, he met with Moses and Elijah. Okay. Now, so this is one of the greats. Uh, Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire, never died. All right. Same with Moses. All right. So this, this guy is, wow, a, a prophet of old, walked with God, loved God. And some of the things that he did, we see in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, is what he's maybe most famous for, in my opinion, is uh, defeating the priest of Baal. He, it's, it was Elijah, one man against hundreds of priests of Baal, and Elijah calls down fire from heaven and consumes the, the offering. Do you guys remember that story? And the, the, the Baal priests, the Baal worshipers, for, they're cutting themselves, they're screaming, it took hours, nothing happened. Uh, Elijah whispers a prayer and, and uh, heavenly fire falls. That was beautiful. And so then Elijah actually puts all of those, uh, those priests of Baal to the sword, okay? And he is purifying the land. And you see that in First uh, Kings 18, 20 to, 20, uh, 20 to 40. And then you see in verse uh, 41 that Elijah prays to end a three and a half year drought that caused a famine. Now, the, the cool thing is if you go back to chapter 17, you'll see that Elijah actually prayed that it, that it would not rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. It wasn't even dew on the ground during this, this time. Caused a famine. And now, so Elijah, the Bible says he's a man just like us, he's praying in power and it's not raining. Then he's praying in power and the heavens open and it does rain. Wow. This is, this is Elijah. He's being used in such a, a mighty and powerful way. If God, wants to, if God wants to show Elijah that his hand is on him and that God is for him, like he's really doing a fantastic job. Amen. And then after that, I actually even want to read this one. It's, it's verse 46 of, of chapter uh, 18. It says, after, now this is after Elijah had called down fire after Elijah had prayed that it would rain after it didn't for three and a half years. Like he's, he's on a roll. Now listen to this one, verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Yeah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab. Ahab is the king at the time to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, if these two were both on foot, 
that would be pretty cool because, um, because Mount Carmel, where they were at, and Jezreel are not super, super close. It would have been a long race. And if, if Elijah would have beat another guy on foot, that would have been awesome. Here's the thing, though. Ahab's in a chariot being pulled by horses. And so Elijah is running in front of Ahab while he's been being pulled by multiple horses. That means he's running with horses and winning. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? For miles, for miles he's doing this. And Ahab is trying to, he's like, he's like you know, have you seen Ben-Hur? He's like, come on, catch that man. It's just a man on foot, you can't catch him, right? And, and Elijah is running ahead of the pack on foot, beating horses. Now here's a man that runs with horses. He prays that it won't rain, it doesn't. He prays that it will rain, and it does. And he calls down fire from heaven. This is, and the Bible says he's a man just like us. Now here's my question though. So my, my question is, is it possible for a person like Elijah to go into survival mode? You would think absolutely not. A man that is used in such power, you think that he's, he's categorized in a different spot? You think that there, he's untouchable in the kingdom? You, you think that the enemy could never throw a, a fiery dart his way that he would believe? You would think that you know, he is just different altogether. But I wanna tell you today that he, even the finest among us are susceptible to survival mode, okay? I mean, God, like, there has to be an urgency about guarding our heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, even Elijah's, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So is it possible for Elijah to go into survival mode, who calls down fire, who stands against false prophets, who prays for rain to stop or start and it does or doesn't? Is it possible for Elijah to go into survival mode when he runs faster than teams of horses? Is this, is this really possible? What can take a person like this out of the race? What can take a person like this out of his, his or her calling? What can take a person like this out of, out of following God radically, making a difference in the world, actually saying yes to God when God calls, standing against all the odds, Staying in the face of danger, just like courageous. What can take, uh, is it possible for a person like this to actually fall into a hole and not want to come out spiritually or emotionally or mentally speaking? Is that possible? What can take a person out of wanting to live and just wanting to stay in survival mode? And I, I kind of dropped this on you just a moment ago, but I would say it is possible, and here's how it's words. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to read this. It says, Ahab told Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is the, is the queen. And this isn't going to be a sermon on Jezebel, though. That would be fun. Because this, this is a wicked woman, all right? Ahab's not much better. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Do you see what she's doing? Jezebel hears, she's angry at what, she's angry at Elijah's life. And so she promises that within 24 hours, he will be like one of the prophets that he killed. In other words, she's threatening him and saying, you're dead. And now what does Elijah do? Elijah, does he call down fire on her? I wish. <laughs> Does, does he, you know, does he just, does he do something crazy? Does he challenge her to a race, right? Does he, does he stand and courage? The man who stood against hundreds of prophets of Baal, does he not stand against Jezebel? Doesn't he do that? Well, let's see. Verse three, 
Then he, that's Elijah, was afraid, and he arose. Now listen to this. Here's what he does in his fear. He, he arose and ran for his life. That, my friends, is survival mode. Do you see this? I'm running for my life. Oh, in other words, instead of, I've seen, remember how David, he struck down a bear, he strikes down a lion when he sees a giant. It's nothing to him. God was with me when I took down the lion and the bear. I can certainly take down a giant. Can Elijah say that? God was with me when I called down fire. God was with me when I prayed that it wouldn't rain. God was with me when I beat the horses in a foot race. Jezebel is no one. But here in this case, I'm telling you, the power of words to curse someone's life. Oh, curses aren't around today. That's just Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. <laughs> Friends, listen, the church has to wake up to biblical reality. Words can curse, and it's very, very real. And words can bless, and it's very, very real. And when you're blessing, it's not just swelling somebody's head with encouragement. What's wrong with that, by the way? In the church, shouldn't we walk around encouraged, right? There's nothing wrong with feeling good about who God is in your life. But words can also destroy in a mighty way, and I'm telling you right now that the man who called down fire from heaven had a few words spoken to him that threw him into survival mode. He was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and he's in survival mode. So a promise to kill Elijah in a day made this man run. I think uh, that's all it took. And how did a few words do that? Well, I just said that words are powerful. They're more powerful than we know. Unkind words can be used by the enemy as seeds. And as, as sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That, that's actually from like the satanic Bible, all right? We act like that's from, from scripture, but that is from a, a, a very dark kingdom, all right? Words hurt. It's better to have a broken bone than an unkind word, in the kingdom. Do you know this? Do you know what it does? A word gets planted in you, and then if you believe it, it begins to bear fruit because it grows because of your faith in it. It's the, the perversion, it's the dark perversion, it's the, it's the dark side of faith. And you begin to believe a word, and then you begin to eat from its fruit after it grows in your heart, and then you get used to having a tree in your life that never came from Jesus. And you start saying, this is just how life is. Oh, yeah, well, someone, no, someone spoke that to you. It needs to be uh, uprooted. What? No, this is all that I know. This is my safe place. This is, this is what I know. This is what I built my life around. That's what an unkind word will do. That's what an untrue word will do. That's what a word will do that is only meant to divide. Do you know that, that sometimes you intentionally speak a word that is, that you, you say something and you can say it with a smile, but you speak a word that you are trying to divide friendships, you're trying to divide people, you're trying to divide families, you're trying to divide churches, you're trying to divide whatevers. Words of division, they, they grow, they destroy. The words that just hurt, words that just wound. And we toss around words carelessly, but the book of James says, man, words, they're like, that's like a tongue on fire. No one knows how to even bridle their words, but what words do is worse than any physical pain. And we, we just give almost no, almost no weight to words. Words quickly spoken, words spoken in anger, words spoken in pain, threats. Man, if I could go back, guys, 
and take back some of my words that I've said to my kids, to my wife, to people in my life. Man, I would. But once they're out there, they're out there. But I'm telling you, Jesus is bigger than words out there, right? I want to look at, at Elijah's response to Jezebel's words. We see this here in verse 3. He was afraid, and he, rode, and he uh, arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. There's, there's actually a lot in that verse here. The first thing is that uh, Elijah responds with fear. He, he responds to an evil threat with fear. Now, this is understandable. Somebody says, I'm going to kill you. It's understandable to be afraid, all right? But the, this, uh, this fear here is actually faith and an evil promise. You should, this is fear that's not, this, there's not like the fear of God, this godly fear, like this awe fear, like, God, you make my heart melt in your presence. That's not the kind of fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about fear that is inspired in, uh, in, uh, in evil and then believed in a person, all right? And Elijah believed her that it was that type of fear. And when that, that threat was planted like a seed in Elijah's heart and, and Elijah put his faith in it, that fear, what he actually decided to do was run slash for, you know, for the purpose of this message, I'm saying he decided to survive. Do you see this in verse three? He arose and then ran for his life. So there's a time to run and there's a time to stand, right? There's a time to stand bold, even though it doesn't make sense at all, but you stand bold and God shows up and then there is a time to run, right? There's like certain times. This was not a time to run. God had proven his faithfulness. You know, we, we, we know that if God, God did it back then, he can do it again, right? And this should have been, he'll do it again kind of thing. But Elijah, because of his faith and a threat, he actually decides to run. So the guy who ran with horses and kings and beat them, the guy who ran in his calling, calling down fire from heaven, uh, actually turns and runs away from a threat. This is the power of words. Now we run from threats we run, though, from all kinds of other things. We run from difficulty. We run from pain. Man, if we run from challenges. Man, if we would just sometimes say, hey, it's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it, and we would stand in the midst of that, man, I wonder how different our lives would look, right? We, we run because we're afraid of how we'll look. We run because we're afraid of what we'll lose. Uh, we, we run because uh, I can't be disrespected. We run because of what others will think about us. And if I can just go so nobody can see me, life will be better. But it's not better in the hiding. Running in fear to survive usually does not end well. And so not only is he afraid, but he also runs. And then here's another thing. He chooses what I'm just calling solitude here. So you see this? He was afraid. He arose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Do you see that? He left his servant. So the one person that stayed with him <laughs> in the midst of all of it, the guy that as he's running, there's a servant right behind him, a good friend, let's say. And so he runs all the way to Beersheba and the servant is still with him saying, Elijah, what are you doing? Where are we going? It's like, we're on a stair stepper here, man. Like, what are you doing? You're my hero, right? And he, he actually says, you know what? This is the place where we part. I've got to be by myself. 
I've got to be alone. I'm choosing solitude. Now, I'm, I'm saying the word solitude, but I, I, solitude is actually a good thing as a spiritual ry- rhythm in discipleship, in our followership of Jesus. Jesus spent tons of time alone, right? And uh, we should have time alone. It's not wrong to be alone. But, here's, but, uh, but solitude as a coping mechanism is one of the most destructive decisions you can ever make. So I'm leaving the people in my life who actually care about me or maybe or, or, or who are just with me and want to help me and I just have to be alone in order to cope with my survival mode. I don't want any people around me. Have you, have you ever said that? I don't want, has it been healthy when you have? I just, just, I don't want anybody around. Just leave me alone. Well, solitude in the kingdom is, is I'm actually leaving people to hang with dead. All right. When solitude is, is built around, I need to be alone for a moment to hang out with my father unobstructed. It's good. But when you cast people out of your life just because you can't stand them anymore or you need to protect yourself, it's bad. Have you ever uh, wondered uh, why? Like sometimes you're like, man, I really don't want to go to church. And you go to church and you're actually like, I'm glad I went. That was actually really good for my heart. Anybody can testify on that one? I know, like, if it wasn't for the, if I wasn't the pastor, sometimes I just wouldn't come to church. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm preaching. Better go, right? <laughs> I, I, I totally get it. Sometimes I'm tired. Of, but I, I can't tell you, almost every single time I've ever done that, and I've hung out with the imperfect people that make up the body of Christ, and I've tasted and drank of the Spirit, and have exalted Jesus and gotten in His Word, I've been like, man, I'm glad that I went. Right, And so I'm telling you, the enemy will try to keep you in survival mode by having you uh, operate in a, in a perversion of solitude, where you just keep, get people out of your life. Just leave me alone. So biblical solitude is aloneness with God. Dangerous solitude is being alone in order to shut down. All right? And this is exactly what Elijah did. He, he gets alone in order to shut down. And in fact, in verse four, um, he actually asked God to die. Now, do you see how crazy this is? That he runs to survive, and then that leads him to a place that he doesn't want to anymore. This is where survival mode will take you if you stay in it. How twisted is this? I'm, run, I, I'm, I'm running instead of standing in order to live. Now I don't want to anymore. I'm actually desiring it. Now, I, I want to tell you here quickly what got Elijah out is, and I'm not going to read down through all this. You can just read through all this on your own, but verses, chapter 19, verses 4 through 8, actually 4 through uh, 18, you see that God sends an angel. God allows Elijah to eat and sleep. I want to encourage you guys, listen, angels aren't just from weird movies. They're actually real. And God wants to, you don't serve them, they serve you, right? And God wants to send ministering angels into your life. I really believe this because it's just all over the pages of scripture. Where would Mary and Joseph be, (laughs) the mother of Jesus, you know, if it wasn't for ministering angels, right? And so God actually sends heavenly messengers into your life to minister to you. But I love what the the angel does. The angel says, go to sleep and, and here's something great to eat. Like sometimes you get out of survival mode by just taking a great nap and eating a great meal. Saying, wow, that was heavenly. Because it was. All right, this is why God made these things. 
And then if you uh, continue to read, God, after, after Elijah is well rested, he, he places the call back on his life. He brings him back up to a mountain and he whispers to him, it's, it's the word of God, it's an encounter with, a God, with God calling him back into the destiny that he was running away from. Can I tell you this? We're all gonna blow it in this area. We're all gonna not stand up when we should have stu- uh, stood up. We all have a history with God and we're all gonna stumble and, and fall and we're gonna run away from a place where we should have stood. But God loves to encounter us and bring us back into our calling, all right? Some of you could have run away, but today could be a day of returning. Some of you may be in the ER, spiritually speaking or emotionally speaking today, and, and you, have, you have grown comfortable there. And all God is doing is he doesn't wanna make you feel bad about that. Listen, life is rough. Stuff happens. Listen, that, listen, that is all, all under the blood of Jesus. That is all. Jesus is not judging you for experiences that sent you to an ER. Here's what he wants to do. He wants you to call you back into the battle. He wants to whisper a word to your heart again. That's all he wants to do. Here, here's one of my favorite things. He wants to expose false narratives. False narratives are actually curses. A, a partial truth, half truths, kind of truths that we have partnered our hearts with and believed. And you know what happens when you partner with a false narrative? It takes root in your heart and grows and your whole life is a half truth wrapped around that. And, and God takes Elijah up to a mountain after he sends an angel, after he feeds him, after he lets him sleep three times. And he speaks his heart back into him and he actually exposes this false narrative. The false narrative was, was that even I only am left and they seek my life. Elijah was saying this, and here, this will get you into, into survival mode fast. Nobody's following Jesus with me. I think I'm the only faithful one. Now we would never admit that we say that, but we think that. Walk into Providence. All these people just, they seem flippant about their, about their stuff with Jesus. Right? Here I am with my KJV. <laughs> Whoa. You better be careful, Kimosabi. You better be really careful on that, right? It's, it's not just you and Jesus in, in this together. You know, I hear a whole lot about, I can't be a part of the church. The church is all, you know, all hypocrites and stuff. Like whoever talks like that about their family, whoever says to their mom, you hypocrite, I can't believe you're my mama. Like people very dysfunctional, evil. You don't talk about family like that. You expect family to hurt you some. You expect, but the cool thing with family is that we're in this blood covenant thing together. We're flesh and blood and we're in it together. And so God is, God is actually calling Elijah back into family, back, and he actually says, no, there's 7,000 people that have not bailed the need to, to, to bail. And I, I want you to do life with them again. So it's actually coming out of the, the cave, coming down off the hill, going back into life and, and saying a re-yes to your calling and, and destiny in Jesus. I think if I could be super practical here with you today, I would just say, um, begin to practice solitude, but do it with God. Take all digital screens out of your life. Don't do solitude with a screen, do solitude with a man named Jesus. It's way better. Take a nap, eat a good meal. And here's my favorite one preach this new narrative to your heart. Jesus loves me even if I'm in survival mode. You know that? That is a narrative that you need to preach. I may be in survival mode. 
I may, have left, I may have lived the last 17 years in a spiritual ER. I may not like being around people. I may have told everybody, get out of my life. I may have run away from my calling. I may have run away from the church. I may have run away from my family. I may just love spending time in my room, just me and myself. I may have built a world that is selfish. I may have built a world that is broken. I may have made a collection of trophies of all the different pains and traumas and brokenness that has happened to me. And I kind of worship them. I, I, I listen to them tell me which way to go and how to think and how to feel. But I just want to tell you that you may be the worst version of survival mode, but Jesus couldn't care less when it comes to his love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you just as much in survival mode as he does as if you're on the mountaintop like Elijah. He, he loves you in survival mode just as much as he would love you if you're calling down fire from heaven, consuming the enemies of God. He loves you in survival mode just as much as he would love you if you're beating charioteers in a race on foot. He loves you in survival mode just as much as he would anything. Think about the greatest person that you know. If you're doing what they do, God loves you just as much as he loves that person in survival mode. Do you understand this? I hope I said that clearly. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you no matter where you are. And it's not, this isn't doing this for God's love. This is doing this for, for uh, God's calling in your life and God's best in your life and God's future in your life. He's got something better for you. And, and you, you, we just gotta get out of the ER. We got, just gotta change the narrative. And the new narrative in your life is I'm loved and I'm equipped and I'm called. I've got, a, I've got a future and a destiny. I wanna tell you this, God planted seeds in Elijah's heart that said, hey, there's gonna be a new king and you know who's gonna anoint him king? You are Elijah. Well, I just ran from a king and a queen. This is the beauty of the kingdom. It's backwards, it's upside down. You're gonna anoint the new king. And then he says this, and guess what? I've already got your predecessor planned. It's a, it's a man named Elisha. You know who's gonna anoint Elisha? You. He said, you've done all these great things and now I wanna put your eyes on the next, the next generation. And this is, where, this is where church gets awesome. Is that I love seeing young people like this and moms and all this stuff, but I love seeing like 90 year olds roll in here. All right, I love, I love 80 year old couples that are just doing this and then calling greatness out of you know, heroes on stair steppers. I, lo I love as awkward as that is, I, I, I love that. That is how it has to be. And if you, are, if you are further on in life, the calling on your life is to speak into the next generation, not just be annoyed by them and distance yourself from them. Change the narrative. There's, there's people that need your voice calling out greatness in their life. I really believe that, like Philip, uh, Pastor Philip started this service talking about new wineskins. I believe that a new wineskin for us today is that I'm not gonna be defined by my past. I'm not gonna be defined by my pain. I'm going to be defined by the, the joy of the Lord in and on my life. And I'm gonna know him. I'm gonna step in today to new wine and new joy and new life. Woo! Can somebody just shout? They give a woo! Anybody? <laughs> so here's what I want us to do. Um, I got in a lot. I was talking fast. Did I set a record? Anyone get my words per minute on that? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. So here's what I just want you to do. Just once again, uh, just ask God how you want to respond. But I, I, I want to speak specifically to people that you're still in an ER. I feel like God wanted week three to survival mode just for you. And here's why, because he loves you. I wasn't going to share this, but while we were worshiping over here, I got a, a, a picture in my mind of an archer shooting arrows at people's hearts. <laughs> All right. 
And I wasn't going to share it because it sounds like freaky weird, but here's the crazy thing. It, it wasn't like a hunter shooting uh, condemnation. It wasn't, it wasn't arrows to kill. It was like Cupid's arrows. I was like, across the building, guys, like, I'm coming after these people with my love. All right. And so I, I just, I want to encourage you, just, just let the love of the Father just, just impact your heart and respond to it. Anybody? Yeah, let's, let's all stand to our feet for a moment. Let's just receive this together. No, nobody, I'm not going to ask us if we want to receive more of God's love. All right, we, we all need it. Put your hands out in front of you just to receive. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would, uh, you, would, you would call our hearts alive again, call our hearts to respond to your love again. Lord, I pray that we would, we would see the goodness of the Lord, not in the land of survival, but in the land of the living, God. I pray, God, that you would, you would call us into new places. Maybe some of us, the, the destiny, the, the false narrative that is like, I have to stay here. I have no future. This is about as good as it gets. God, I pray that false narrative uh, that's been believed in, I pray it would, it would crumble today in a new a new, a new, new, new wineskin <laughs> would be adopted, God, and that we would receive the dream that you have for us. Some of us in our latter years, some of us were just starting, God, but I just pray that your love would break through. God, break through every lie. Lord, I just pray some of us that we have a pain tro trophy of a word that was spoken to us that it was so painful. I pray for grace to disintegrate that lie and for it just to evaporate and for the new narrative to be, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. I belong to him through faith as a son and a daughter, God. So I just invite you to work now by your spirit. And I thank you for these people. I just pray that as they go today, they, they would leave blessed, knowing that they're loved no matter where they're at, God. And so, but just call us out, call us out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Can we be Baptist for a second? And all God's people said, Come on now, all right? Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.